Good morning. Uh, can you hear me? Okay, good. Well, if you're here today, if you're in the back and you don't have a sheet, if you could just raise your hand, and we'll try to get someone from the front to, to take you an extra. Uh, here at the beginning this morning, uh, I just wanted to say that I am extremely grateful for an opportunity to, to preach the Word of God to people I love. Uh, there really is uh, no other place I'd rather be than with my brothers and sisters in Christ, worshiping Christ together, studying His Word together. And, and I'm just thankful that I get to preach to my brothers and sisters this morning. And, and I think that just the love that this church shares with one another is very evident just the way we interact with each other. And, and even this morning with Patrick being here, just the excitement of seeing our brother who's been gone for so long. It just shows the love that is in this church. And I think it is extremely appropriate that this morning we're going to spend a lot of our time talking about love within the local church. And so this morning we're going to be looking at 2 John. So if you could open up your Bibles to 2 John. Uh, 2 John, it's toward the very back of the Bible. Uh, it's just a couple of books before the book of Revelation. If, if you are having a difficult time finding 2 John, it's, it's the book that's right after 1 John. And it's right before 3 John. So it's just right there in the middle. So it's, it's not too hard to find towards the very end of the Bible. Um, 2 John is it's a very small book. Uh, it's only 245 words. It's the second smallest book in the Bible. And it has a very important message for the church of Jesus Christ. And sadly, 2 John is also one of the most neglected books in all of Scripture. And so if I were to stop you before church this morning and ask you uh, to give me a summary of 2 John, do you think you could do it? And so this morning I actually did that. I went up to several brothers and sisters and said, hey, can you give me a summary of 2 John? And, and most people had a really difficult time summarizing what 2 John is about, except for Robbie. Robbie nailed it. Um, and so, but most people, they don't know what this very small letter of only 13 verses is about. But if I were to, in the same situation, come up to you before church and say, um, hey, can you give me a summary of Genesis, 50 chapters? Could you do that? A lot of you could probably do it. Or, or Romans or, or 1 Corinthians or the book of Revelation, these really big books. Uh, most of us here could probably summarize these books of the Bible. But when it comes to this very short letter, 245 words, a lot of us have a very difficult time uh, knowing what this letter is about. So why is that? Why is it that we neglect what God has to say in 2 John? And I want to give us a couple of reasons of why we might neglect what God has to say in 2 John. So one reason is we might think that because of its size, that it's unimportant. That we, we equate size with importance. And since it's so small, we just don't think it's as important as the other books in the Bible. Uh, another reason is we might think it's too obscure. It's not very relevant to our lives. And so, you know, he's writing to some lady and her children about how to how to order their house. And we say, what does this really have to do with my life? And so maybe we miss the message that God has for us in Second John. And, and for some of us, we we really love Second John because it means it's a really short day of reading on the reading plan. And so maybe we just breeze past Second John on our way to Revelation and we miss what God has to say to us here. And, and so I want to ask you this morning, Grace Community Church, do you believe that all scripture is breathed out by God? Do you believe every single word 
in this book is inspired by the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that the very voice of God is enclosed within this book? And if it is, that demands that we find out the message that God has for us here in 2 John. And so this morning, I ask you to lean in with me and that you would pray with me that God would help us to know what he wants, what he wants to say to us here in 2 John. So I'm going to pray for us. Father, we, we love you, Lord. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that you have made yourself known to us. God, you have not left us in the dark. You have spoken. God, we have your very words. We can know you through your words, Lord. God, and I pray that you would help us to know what you would have to say to us from 2 John this morning. God, we pray that, that you would pierce us with your word. You say that your word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and that it pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joint and marrow and it discerns the thoughts and intents of our heart. God, and I ask that you would discern the thoughts and intents of our hearts this morning. God, that you would conform us to your image through your word. God, you would make us like you. God, make us like Christ. Lord, help us to walk in the truth of your word. God, I need your help to speak your words. God, we need your spirit to make these words clear to us. Help us to apply these words to our lives, Lord. God, we pray that this meeting would not be in vain. God, please speak through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you can open up to 2 John. Uh, this morning, we're going to be uh, looking at the entirety of 2 John. And so if you could follow along as I read, starting in verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. So if you notice in verse 1 that this letter is written by the elder 
to the elect lady and her children. And the elder is most likely the apostle John. And the elect lady and her children is most likely a metaphor that is referring to the church and its members. Uh, this is supported by the very last verse in this letter. If you look at verse 13, it says the children of your elect sister greet you. And so if you read that, you might think that sounds strange. Why is it that the children of the elect sister are sending greeting and not the elect sister? And the reason is because this is a metaphor that he is using the children metaphorically to refer to the members of the church. And so these are greetings between churches. And this, this tells us that 2 John is not just some obscure ancient letter that has no relevance to us. It tells us that this letter is a letter to the church of Jesus Christ. That this letter is for us. It's a message from God to the church. And so John writes the elder to the elect lady and her children. And he is writing to this church to warn them. And so if you were with us several months ago, we went through uh, 1 John together as a church. And as we were going through 1 John, uh, what we saw is that John was addressing a heresy in the church. And what, what happened in that church was that there were certain individuals who had broken from the Orthodox faith and that they had separated themselves from the church. And they had begun to speak perverse things about Christ. And specifically, they were saying that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh. And, and they were likely saying something like this, that that human flesh is too sinful for the eternal son of God to take upon himself. And so Jesus just appeared to be a man, but he wasn't really a man. And so in first John, the apostle John is coming hard against that false teaching. And now here in second John, the apostle John is writing to a specific local church and he is trying to brace them for the imminent arrival of these false teachers who are coming to this church to deceive them. And so John is basically giving this church a game plan or, or a strategy to protect this church so that this false teaching does not take root in the church. Okay? So 1 John is a strategy against false teaching in the church. And so... The strategy, you can basically see it on your outline. So if you look on your outline, the strategy John gives them is knowing the truth, walking in the truth, abiding in the truth, and enjoying the truth. Okay? So to begin this letter, in the first few verses, he, he reminds this church of the truth that they have come to know. And he reminds them of the very nature of... Of this truth that they know. And if they know the truth well. This will help them to distinguish it from error. Okay. And the distinguishing mark of the truth. That John gives. Is love. This is how you know the truth. It's always accompanied with love. Okay. So listen to what he says to this church. He says the elder to the elect lady and her children. Whom I love in truth. And not only I. But also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. And so he says, I love you in truth. I truly love you. And not just me. Everybody who knows the truth loves you. So think about that. Everyone, all who know the truth, love those who know the truth. He has no category in his mind for someone to know the truth, yet not love others who know the truth. Everybody who knows the truth loves everyone else who knows the truth. 
And why? And he says, because of the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. The very nature of the truth is that it produces love. Okay? And so this, this shows us something about this truth. That this truth is not just mere information. It's not like you read something true in the newspaper. Okay, there's, there's something more to this. When he's speaking of the truth, he is talking about the message of a living person who is himself the truth. Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's the message of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he has come to bring. And so if you know the truth, you have come to know Christ. You love everyone else who has grabbed hold of Christ. Everyone else who knows your Savior, Savior, you truly love them. You love them because they know Christ. And so that's, this speaks to what unites us as a church. It's not, it's not our interests. It's not our age. It's not our ethnicity. It's not any other thing. What is it that unites us as a church? What is it that makes us love one another and come together on Sunday mornings as a church? It's the truth of Jesus Christ. We have Christ in common and we love each other because of him. And we love each other because we share this truth of Jesus and we share in the blessings of salvation that he has given. Okay, this is what John gets at in the next verse. Look at verse three. He says, grace, mercy and peace will be with us from God, the father and from Jesus Christ, the father's son. In truth and love. And so if you go in the New Testament and you look at a lot of the, the letters in the New Testament, there's usually an introduction. And in the introduction, there is a prayer. Usually, you know, Paul will say grace and peace be to you. And so it's a prayer that God would give them grace and peace. But what you need to see about this introduction is that this is not a prayer. This is a promise. This is a fact. Look what he says. Grace, mercy and peace will be with us. You see, that's a promise that for the people of God, for those who have come to know the truth, you do have grace, mercy and peace from God. Guaranteed, everyone who knows the truth has experienced these gospel blessings. You are at peace with God. And so if you are a Christian here today, it doesn't matter what your last week has looked like or what your last year has looked like. If you are in Christ Jesus, you truly experience grace mercy and peace with God. And this will always be the case. It abides with us forever. Praise the Lord. Every single Christian experiences this. And we love each other because we share in these gospel blessings together. Everyone who's experienced this loves others who have experienced this. This is why you could go to Afghanistan and meet a Christian there not knowing anything about them. And you could love them dearly, even more than your own family, because they have come to know the truth. They know your Savior. The truth always produces love. And so I ask you, Grace Community Church, are you having any trouble loving the church of Jesus Christ? Are you lacking in any desire to be with the body of Christ? Is there, is there a brother or a sister that, that you just can't seem to love? You just can't seem to forgive? And if you just can't find love anywhere, nowhere in your heart for someone who knows the truth, it seriously brings into question whether or not you actually know the truth. Because the truth always produces love. That is the very nature of the truth. It always produces love.
And so John, what he's getting at is that he doesn't want us to just know information. He doesn't want us to just be able to affirm the facts of the truth with our mouth. He wants the truth to be demonstrated in our lives. He wants it to be seen. That's how you know it's really the truth. And this is what he's getting at in the next verse. So if you look at verse 4 with me. He says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And so what's pumping him up, what's getting him to rejoice greatly is that believers who know the truth are walking in it. That it's demonstrated in their lives and that, that you can see the truthfulness and the power of the truth demonstrated in their lives. And that their lives are lining up with the truth. And so the truth, yes, it has gone into their brains, but it has flowed down into their hearts and it has stirred their affections and it has flowed out into their lives. And you can see it in the way that they interact with each other and the way they talk with each other. They are walking in the truth. And this is the sign of a healthy church. This is a sign of a healthy Christian. It's not that they know the information, but that they're walking it out. You see it in their lives. They're walking in the church in the truth. And so in this passage, the Apostle John, he's going to, to tell them specifically what does it look like for a believer to walk in the truth. And so in this section, you're going to see two words, two primary words that rise to the surface. Okay? And so the first word you're going to see is love. And the other word you're going to see is commandment. And so this is what it means for a Christian to walk in the truth. It is to have love for other Christians, and it is to obey the commandments of God. This is what it looks like to walk in the truth. And so John, in a very loving way, he makes a request to this local church. And so in verse 5, he says, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And so his request to this church is that they walk in mutual love with one another. Okay? And, and what I want us to see here is how in the Apostle John's life and in his exhortation, how you can see truth and love come together beautifully, even in the way he encourages them. Okay? Look at what he says. So he is, he is not making up something. This is a commandment from God. In fact, this is a commandment from the beginning. This is what Christianity has always been about. It's always been about loving one another. That is the very nature of Christianity. So he's not making up something new. This is the commandment from the beginning. And he doesn't back away from the truth. He's saying God has commanded you to love one another. And so Christian, if you are not walking in love towards the body of Christ, did you realize that's a sin? If you withdraw from the body of Christ and separate yourself and isolate yourself from the body of Christ, it is a sin. It is a commandment that we love one another. It's not an option in the Christian life. We are commanded to love one another. Okay? So this is true, and he does not back down. You must obey the commandment of God. But look at, look at the way he says it to them. Look at the love and, and the grace and the gentleness and the way he encourages them to obedience. So he could have just said... God said it, do it. God commanded it, do it. But that's not what he said. Look what he says. He says, and now I ask you, dear lady. So we say, why is he talking like that? I mean, God commanded it. They're supposed to just do it. But look, this is how love comes together with the truth. I ask you, dear lady. 
See how loving that is, the way he came together, brought truth and love together in the way he encouraged them? This is a very good model for us of what it looks like for truth and love to come together in speech and the way we interact with people. So sometimes we can think that just because God has commanded something, that gives me a license to hammer people with the truth. To speak to people however I want to without any love. And John is saying, no, 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 you can't do that. It's an extremely hypocritical thing for us to lay the truth on people and have no love. You know why it's a very hypocritical thing? Because we're commanded to love one another. You have ceased to walk in the truth yourself if you do not have love. You must have love. It is commanded by God. They must come together. And we are tempted to take away love from the truth, and we can't do it. He's saying, don't do that. He says, love and truth, they come together. And just to make sure that we are not misunderstanding him when he speaks of love, he gives us a clarification in verse 6. Look what he says in verse 6. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Okay. So what is love is to walk in the commandments of God. So we need to be very careful, especially in our culture. There's a temptation to exalt love and leave the truth of God's word behind. And actually, in our culture, the most unloving thing you can do is to speak of absolute truth. And he's saying, no, 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 that's not the case. That love and truth come together. Love is in accord with the commandments of God. We do not deny the commandments of God in the name of love. So do not take the bait that you are to love people without any regard for the word of God. John is showing us that they cannot be separated. Love and truth, they always go together. They are married together. They are inseparable. So we must maintain these twin pillars of truth and love. At all times, this must be what the Christian life looks like. This is what we are to walk in, is truth and and love. And it is extremely important for us as a, as a church that we walk in both of these. Okay? And why is it that this is so important that we walk in both truth and love? And the Apostle John is going to give us the reason in the very next verse. Okay? So look at verse 7. Here's the reason. So he says for. So this is telling you the reason why we need to do this. For many deceivers... Have gone out into the world those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Okay, did you catch his logic there? So he says you must walk according to the truth of God's word and you must love one another because many deceivers deny that Jesus was a human being. Okay, you get it? So it's not, it's not very apparent what he's saying right off the bat when you look at it. But this is basically what he's saying. He's saying we must obey the command to love one another. We must, we must love one another in the church because if we do not walk in the truth in the church, if we, if we separate ourselves from the church and isolate ourselves and take away ourselves from the loving protection of the church where we are taught the truth and reminded the truth, Reminded of the truth. If we do that, then we are wide open to deception. That you are easy prey for false teachers. You see that? So he says there are many deceivers. Are you aware of that? That, that there are many deceivers who, who are wanting to trick you. They want to trap you. 
And he calls them antichrist. They don't love Christ. They are against Christ. That is their goal. Are you aware of that? And so we can tend to think that if I separate myself from the local church, that, that I will be okay. You know, I can, I can make it on my own. I can do pretty good on my own. And, and don't be deceived. You cannot. You will not be okay. You will be deceived. You will begin to believe false things about Christ. Many false ideas will come into your brain because there are many deceivers in this world. So we must be very careful to love one another, to walk in the truth, to walk in the church, in loving relationships, being loved by others and loving other people. So this is, is John essentially trying to shore up this church. And, and he's trying to get the stragglers who are not committing themselves to the church and not loving the church. He's trying to bring them in. And this is for their own good so that they are not deceived. And this is for the good of the whole church. Think about it. If we have the whole church together, yet there are some people who are very loosely connected and will never truly love the body of Christ. If all of a sudden false teaching latches onto them because they are not being taught and loved in the church. And all of a sudden they start coming around with false teaching. That is not a good thing. That is how false teaching can seep into the church. And so this is the way to get them in close so that no one is deceived and they are all protected in the community of truth in the church. Okay, And so he is particularly uh, nervous about this particular heresy getting into the church. He does not want this heresy of denying that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh to get into the church. He knows that there is something about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That is so close to the heart of Christianity that if it gets its way into the church, it will absolutely destroy the church. It will ruin our love for one another. It will ruin obedience in the church. It will, it will ruin the glory of Christ in our midst if we deny the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so we need to know Christ well. We need to know what scripture teaches about Jesus Christ so we are not deceived about who he is. So who is Jesus well, if you look at verse 3, if we go back there for a second, it says, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. So you have God the Father and Jesus Christ the Father's Son both equally administer grace to those who know the truth. They are equal in that sense. And they are equal in their nature, yet they are distinct persons. God the Father is the one who elects us for salvation. Before the foundation of the earth, he has chosen us in Christ Jesus, and he has planned our redemption. And the Son is the one who took on human flesh and became like us in every sense except for sin, so that he could redeem us with his own blood. And he was truly man. He was fully man. Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus had Four brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. He had sisters. He was raised in Nazareth as a real boy. And people saw him grow up into manhood. He was a carpenter by trade. Jesus experienced the full range of emotions and struggles that we experience. He experienced joy, fear. He was hungry and thirsty and tired and and he was upset and betrayed. He felt everything that we feel. Yet he lived a fully obedient life to his father in heaven. In Jesus, he was betrayed. 
He was captured. He was flogged. He was nailed to a cross in a human body for our sins. He was buried. He rose on the third day in a real human body. After he rose, his disciples could see him and they could put the fingers in the holes in his hands. And they could put their fingers in the hole in his side. And after 40 days, he ascended back to God in a physical body. And at this very moment, this is real. Jesus is in the presence of God in a, in a real human body, making intercession for us as our high priest. And a day is coming when he's going to bust open the clouds and he's going to return for his bride in a real human body. Jesus really was fully human in every single sense. And this is huge. We must understand this. We often love to defend the full deity of Christ and that we should rightly so please defend the full deity of Jesus Christ. But you are you equally as passionate about defending the full humanity of Jesus Christ? Do you know why this is important? If Jesus is not fully human, he cannot be our substitute. If he is not fully human, he cannot be our representative in heaven. He is the second Adam. He must be fully human. And if, if you take away the humanity of Jesus, you take away all love and obedience in the church. Jesus is our living example of a man loving and obeying God. He really did it with all the weakness of, of sinful flesh. He really did obey God even when it was hard. Listen to what Jesus said when he's praying in the garden to his father. So he's praying and, and he's sweating as it were drops of blood. There's a real struggle in his human flesh going on. And this is what he prays. He says, Father... If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, he had a real struggle. He really had to submit to his father in a human body. His obedience was real. His love for us was real. And if you take that away, his humanity, if you take that away, it's just a myth. He didn't really love us. He didn't really obey God. But he did. He really did love us. And he really did lay down his life obediently to his father to redeem us. He was obedient to death, even the death of a cross as a real man in human flesh. That's what Christ Jesus did. And he calls us to follow him. Did you know that? Listen to what Jesus says. This is John 13, 34. He says, a new commandment. I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So he didn't just say love one another. He said love one another as I love you. As I really did love you in a human body. That is how you are to love one another. And so Jesus, he, he was a real human who really loved. And our love for one another is fueled by his love for us. His real love for us. We feed off of that as a church. That's why we love each other. is because we have been loved greatly by Jesus Christ. And so we must hold to this truth. That Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Now I want to share a quote with you. Uh, this is a quote from a famous theologian. Uh, her name is Stacy Crouch. Um, and so she's talking about herself here. And 
She's talking about her favorite things. And so she says her favorite things are words and people because the eternal word of God became flesh for the sake of people. I'm going to say it one more time. Her favorite things are words and people because the eternal word of God became flesh for the sake of people. And I'm going to modify this slightly for our purposes, okay? So we, Grace Community Church, we love the word of God and people because the eternal word of God took on flesh for the sake of people. You see how much weight and importance is placed on this? This drives everything in love and obedience in the church. Okay? Okay, so we, as a church, we must know what Scripture teaches about Jesus Christ. We must know it well, really well, inside and out. We must know his full deity, his full humanity very well. We must know Christ so well that we can easily sniff out a false Christ. We can know, we can see it, that something's not right. The truth is not really there. Okay, something is lacking there. We need to know Christ that well. And my concern for our church is not so much that we wouldn't correctly affirm the facts of Jesus' incarnation with our mouths. But my concern is more so that our lives would reveal that we don't really believe Jesus came in the flesh. So we must see, examine ourselves to make sure we really do believe in the one who came in the flesh and loved and obeyed. Do our lives really believe, demonstrate that we believe in that one? So do not be deceived. There are many in our culture who confess the right things about Jesus with their mouths, but their lives look no different from the world. But if you really know this Christ, the one who, who laid it all down, who obeyed fully, became man, and loved, and served, and died. If you really know that one, and if the Holy Spirit is in you and abides with you forever, you are going to look radically different from this world. Do not be deceived. And this is John's warning. He is concerned about this church being deceived. And so he gives warnings about deception being within the church and deception, which comes from outside, trying to make its way into the church. And the stakes here are huge. Listen to his warning in verses 8 and 9. He says, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching... Has both the Father and the Son. So did you hear the stakes here? If this is believed, a, a Christ who is less than fully man, if you believe in that Jesus, then you do not get the full reward. That's eternal life. He says in verse 9, you do not have God. That's the stakes here. You must believe in the right Jesus. There are many Jesus floating around in our culture that are not the Jesus of Scripture. Are you believing in this Jesus? The stakes are huge. We must watch out for one another and make sure that within the church that we are holding on to the right Christ. That all of our brothers and sisters are really believing in the true Christ. We must watch out for wolves that will come in our midst and speak different things about Jesus. 
And if we see a brother or a sister begin to go off in their understanding of who Jesus is, we need to go after them. That is loving. We need to make sure that they abide in the teaching of Christ. Our goal as Christians is not to advance past Jesus. It is to abide. We are to stay right here in what the scripture teaches about Jesus. We must love one another and protect one another from deception within the church. And I want to give just a a warning to, to anyone here. Who has maybe grown tired of hearing of the things of Jesus. If if you are here and you hear of the gospel week by week here. And and you are ready to move on. And and you are cold to that. You are in a very dangerous place. Listen to this language. Here's the warning. Everyone who goes on ahead. And does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. So this language of going on ahead. Advancing past Jesus. That is a very dangerous place to be. And this is why we share the gospel week by week. This is why we have the Lord's Supper to remind ourselves of Christ and what he has done. Because we need to be reminded often of Jesus. And we need to abide. That's what we're going after. Abiding. Remaining in Christ. And so we need to be aware and be warned of deception from within the church. And we also need to be aware of Deception coming from without the church. This is the warning he gives in verses 10 and 11. He says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Okay, so these are some uh, difficult verses that historically Christians have had a a difficult time understanding. What what do these verses mean? Uh, What are we to, to do with these verses? I was talking to someone earlier this week, and they were like, yeah, Second John, I heard someone say that's the book that says that we're not to allow Mormons into our homes, right? And, and even myself, in the past, whenever a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness would, would come knock on my door, I, I would want to invite them in so that I could share the gospel with them. But I would always have these verses in the back of my mind. Am I walking in the disobedience to God, even though I'm trying to share the gospel in my home? And so we need to understand what these verses are talking about. And... On the front end, I want to say what these verses don't mean. Okay? These verses don't mean that you cannot have a Mormon into your home. Okay? You, please, please have them into your home and please share the gospel with them. And you can at the very least offer them coffee. They might not want it, but you can offer it to them and you can share the gospel with them. Okay? Or if you have a family who are, who are Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, this does not mean that you cannot have them in your home. That's not what these verses are saying. And what we need to understand about these verses is that there are cultural factors that are at play here. Okay? So in this context, there are many deceivers who have gone out into the world. And so this is missionary language. So they are on a mission to deceive. Okay? And in this culture, if you were going to go into a town and you were going to try and be a missionary there, you didn't usually stay at a hotel or, or an inn or anything like that. What you usually did is you went to someone's home and you stayed with them. Okay? So think of uh, Luke 10. You have Jesus who sends out the 70 disciples. And they are to go find a person of peace to stay with. And when they find that person who will take them in, that person is to feed them and care for them, meet all of their needs. And so when we hear these verses, we need to be thinking more on the lines of, of approving someone, affirming someone as a Christian... And supporting them. Material support in their ministry. Okay, So the warning here is that we must be careful 
not to quickly affirm someone as a Christian and say you're a fellow worker for the truth. Be slow. Make sure that they are confessing the true Christ first before you let them in. Also, this means we don't just support any ministry. Just anyone who claims to be a Christian. It doesn't mean we throw money in support. First, we need to know what they believe about Christ. This is his warning. He says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, they need to bring the teaching of Christ. That's the standard of affirming them and supporting them. Okay, so we must be very careful in who we affirm and who we support. And so this is his strategy, how to protect this church, how to keep deception coming in, is watch out among yourselves and be careful of who you affirm and who you support from the outside. Okay? All right. Now to end this letter, the last couple of verses. I, I love the ending to this letter. Uh, John says, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. Okay, so basically what John is saying here is, is I have a lot I need to write with, to you, but, but I just want to be with you. I just want to come to you. I just want to be face to face with you. And, and in the Greek where he says face to face, in the Greek it's actually mouth to mouth. I want to be extremely close to you. I want to be in your presence. And what John is showing us, that he's showing us what love looks like within the boundaries of the truth. This is what real love looks like in the church. Okay? And so we see that he genuinely wants to be with other believers. And so, yes, brothers and sisters, we are commanded by God to love one another. But if you really know the truth, nobody has to twist your arm to be with other Christians. You just want to be with them. You just love them. And you know that when you are apart from them, something is not right. Something is lacking. And you want to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and look at the reason that he gives for why he wants to be among the body of Christ. He says, so that our joy may be complete. He knows that it's not good for man to be alone. He knows that, that God made us to be in community with one another, to walk in love and walk in obedience to the truth with one another. This is God's design, that you would worship him and glorify him with other people. We need other people. We cannot drift off and be by ourselves. We need the body of Christ. God has made us this way. And so we love the church of Jesus Christ for our own good, so that our joy is made complete, so that we can be happy. We really, this is a real reason why to be in the body of Christ. You will not be satisfied any other way. You separate yourself so that you can have your joy made complete. It's not going to happen. It only happens in the presence of God with other Christians. This is how he has designed it. And so we love the church of Jesus Christ for our own good. And we love the church of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, we tend to neglect the church and ignore the church in our independence. But we must know that the church is at the very heart of God's plan. It's at the very heart of his plan to glorify his name among all nations. And our love for one another will witness to the world that we truly are disciples of Christ. It will witness to the world that our lives are oriented to the supremacy of Christ and not to anything else. 
That's what our love for one another witnesses. And the world, they cannot see God, but they can see the church. The church is extremely important for our witness to this world. We must love the church. We must look at the church as the way to get God's glory, as a vehicle that God is using to glorify himself among all nations. Jesus Christ purchased the church with his own blood. The church was extremely important to Jesus that he purchased it with his own blood. And so may we be a church that loves one another, that loves the church for the sake of him who took on flesh for the church. Can you pray with me? Uh, Father, we, we thank you for Second John, Lord. Even though we tend to overlook it and, and ignore what you have to say here, God, we thank you for your message here. God, and, and even the warnings that are here, the hard warnings that are here, God, we know that you've given them for our good. God, you say hard things for our good. You love us, Lord. God, and, and we thank you that, that you shepherd us. You, you teach us how to walk in obedience to you. God, and I pray that, that, that your glory would be seen in this church. God, that it would be seen in our love for the truth. God, it would be seen in our love for one another. God, please sanctify us. Make us like our Savior, the one who became flesh and truly loved and truly obeyed. God, please be exalted in our midst. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.